And welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty. We're going to be talking about drought and its impacts on your crop and what you can do to lessen the drought stress. Uh, some would say drought-proofing your crop. I don't know if there's ever a replacement for rain necessarily, but there are some practices you can do that allow you to tolerate drought a lot longer and be more successful. We definitely have seen that play out the last few years on our farm. We've, we're in year three of extremely dry weather, and we, we notice fields and spots of fields where we've made mistakes. They stand out like a sore thumb right now. But there are also uh, areas that we've done some things that have been really good. So we'll talk about some of those things today. We're also taking your calls and agronomic questions all throughout the show at 844-44-AG-PHD. And you can email us radio at agphd.com. Got some pictures today uh, emailed me, uh, emailed to me uh, uh, a field just across the border uh, in Minnesota with yellow soybeans out in the field. And this is something we see every year. Obviously, there's a lot of different things that cause yellow soybeans, but uh, this one was kind of interesting. It was, it definitely looks like there's some iron deficiency chlorosis involved, and there also looks like a lot of burn from the spray. And where they had both of those things together, it was absolutely the worst. And areas that had no stress, well, they seemed to tolerate the damage from the spray a lot better. And it just brings up that great point, and this is what we're talking about today with drought proofing or reducing drought stress on your crop. If you can take away one stress, then when another stress comes along, you can handle it a lot better. When you have a stress and then another stress and another stress stacked on top of each other, it gets really, really hard for that crop to bear. So we always start by talking about soil fertility, but I would say this too, the tillage and traffic out in your field is a big deal. Just talking to um, an agronomist up in the state of North Dakota and with some of the conditions that were tough in some of those fields that they didn't think were they were going to get planted, but they eventually did, there were some compaction spots that were really, really evident this year that, man, it, it looks worse than normal. We, we're used to seeing some compaction, but some of these areas are worse than normal. And when you do that, when you squish all the air out of the soil and you pack that soil really, really tight, obviously, if you're not getting much rain, it's going to be about impenetrable for roots to get through that. When you have lots and lots of rainfall, even some of those compacted areas, you can get roots to, to find their way through. So we just don't see much forgiveness when we aren't catching the rain, especially when it comes to heavy equipment. At our Scouting and Scholarships workshop last Saturday, I was chatting with a, with a farmer who had developed a system for tire inflation and deflation. So you could quickly add air into your tires or quickly take air out of those tires. And he said, we can do it in like 20 seconds. I thought, wow, that's amazing to take all your tractor tires, drop a bunch of air pressure out really quickly so you can operate in the field. If you aren't doing this already on your farm, adjusting tire pressure in the field versus driving down the road, 
this is something you really, really need to look at. And a drought year like this really points those differences out. When you're on the road, yes, you need to inflate the tires. You don't want to wear your tires out. You want to uh, cruise down the road. And I, I was even explaining this to my kids. That they're, they're like, why is that such a big deal? And I said, okay, let's just take your bicycle tires. Uh, what do you run for air pressure in your bicycle tires? And all my kids know, gosh, we're running at least 50 pounds of pressure in those tires. Uh, some of the real thin tires, it might be 80 pounds of pressure. And I say, okay, what if you don't have 50 pounds in your just regular bike that you're riding around? They're like, well, it gets harder to pedal. The tires really squish out. And I'm like, yeah, exactly. So can you imagine in a field, if you had those tires squished out, what an advantage that would be. And they said, well, what do you mean? What advantage? Well, you got more area, more surface area to spread the weight out of the tractor. So you're putting less pressure down on the soil and they got it really quickly. I think as farmers, we do need to look at, okay, just because I've done something a certain way for a long time doesn't mean there isn't a better way coming. There isn't a better way I could switch to. We really have to evaluate everything that we're doing on the farm each year. And if you say, well, I just run with a tire pressure kind of somewhere in the mid range to, to serve both purposes, you're losing out on both ends. So I would strongly encourage you to take a look at putting a system like this on. So when you get out to fields, you can lower pressure. When you get back on the roads, you can increase pressure in your tires. So that's one thing. Compaction is a big thing. Soil fertility would be our next piece. And on our farm, we, we did a couple things different in the last couple of years. And one of them may have hurt us a little bit this spring. We did some spring manure application and we were using a drag line and all that, but there's still a lot of equipment running through the field. And we definitely saw some spots there where tractors were turning around, partly because we tried to do a cleanup tillage pass behind them and we just didn't get deep enough. So that was something that we'll have to watch out for. The nutrients are great because where we didn't have the turnaround spots, the crop honestly looks really good. And we talk about this a lot on our show. If your crop has all the nutrients that it needs, it doesn't drink in more water. It's drinking in water to pull in more plant food. So if you get a balanced fertility across your soil and you get those nutrient levels high, you're able to extract more nutrients using less water. That's a real key, especially for dryland farmers, but even for guys that have irrigation to utilize uh, your water even more efficiently. So the nutrient piece is really big. And then just all the other things you can do. Naturals have been a big thing. We, we've got a natural product called Heat Shield that we really like that helps plants tolerate heat uh, much better. That, that's that been a real winner for us the last few years. Then you look at fungicides and the plant health benefits, including cooling the canopy of the, the plants adding more antioxidants and reducing ethylene. Those things are big too. So just everything you're doing in your crop, you've got to try and reduce stresses. We'll talk more about some of those stresses and things you can control on today's program. We'll also be taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. Stay tuned. Insects have reigned since the dawn of time, adapted to their surroundings, experienced the harshest climates and toughest challenges until now. With two modes of action, Ridgeback Insecticide delivers one devastating outcome for soybean aphids, extinction from your fields. They may have lived through it all, but they won't survive this. 
end soybean aphids reign at ridgeback.corteva.us. In his last will and testament, Robert has bequeathed to his only heir and devoted caretaker one-third of his house, a third of his truck, and a third of his beloved dog, Mr. Bo here. Uh, excuse me, I'm, I'm a little confused. Don't settle for a fraction of what you deserve, especially at harvest. Yield your best with Veltima fungicide's proven plant health benefits and revolutionary application flexibility. One-third of a dog. Right. Get everything you deserve with Veltima fungicide. From BASF, always read and follow label directions. You won't want to miss this year's Ag PhD Field Day with guided tours of our extensive research plots, world premieres of the latest ag technologies, the highest yielding farmers on the planet, and more equipment running than ever before. The Ag PhD Field Day just keeps getting bigger and better. We'll also have great family entertainment, including a kids' area, music, fantastic guest speakers, and food and drink available all throughout the day. But the best part is everything's free. Go to agphd.com to learn more for the Ag PhD Field Day, Thursday, July 27th. Get uniform control in your fields with trusted, hardworking Lucento fungicide. Control the toughest diseases with a dual mode of action fungicide that consistently outperforms the competition and field trials. Lucento fungicide from FMC works overtime for lasting control to help improve crop yields. Talk about getting the job done. Visit your FMC retailer or lucento.ag.fmc.com for hardworking control in your fields. Always read and follow all label directions. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today, talking about drought proofing your crop and taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844 44 Ag PhD. By the way, if you're not following the cropprotectionnetwork.org and their tar spot map, they've now expanded. There are seven counties in Iowa that have found tar spot, one county in Kansas, two counties in Missouri. So it's uh, it's one of those years that you better be watching out for disease. I know we think, oh boy, we're, we're pretty dry and we could sure use some more rain. You can still have disease problems. So don't, don't start uh, giving up on the crop just yet. We got to protect this crop if we want to keep the most yield potential we can. Got Jesse Grote with us right now down in central Iowa. And Jesse, are you in that area where, where the tar spot's at? I am just on the northern border of it, in fact. But uh, yeah, I saw that announcement come out from Extension over the weekend, and yeah, it's here. You know, growers have said, "Well, I'm under a lot of other stress here. Adding something like tar spot to it <laughs> this early in the year—that sounds like a hundred bushel loss just waiting to happen to me." What are you seeing on this? I know what's been really interesting. Even some of the old strabilurin chemistry, like Quadris, has really been pretty good at protecting from tar spot, and of course, the plant health benefits are there too. Yeah, it has. And then I think as we look you know, at some of the new cleaner and greener fungicides like with latinol and adepidin, uh, we've seen really great efficacy against tar spot on those and a long lasting um, residual control as well. And as we know with tar spot, um, you know, a lot of it really comes down to timing, right? When it comes in, when it sets in and how long it's there. So, you know, getting that application on of a, a cleaner and greener fungicide and, and having that long residual control um, is definitely going to be something we want to do to ease that uh, extra stress. 
Well, one thing I've liked, and Syngenta's absolutely got this right, is putting two or three modes of action in to, to protect these excellent SDHI products, like you mentioned. That's that's why I brought up, uh, hey, these strobes are still helpful. And I know some guys say, well, I sure like these SDHIs better. Yeah, they're great and everything, but I'd rather have everything combined. I, I kind of like that approach on weed control, and I definitely like it on fungicides, too. Let's, let's protect the chemistries we got and do the best we can for our plants, too. I absolutely agree. And, and like you mentioned, the strobes, they still do have very good activity against tar spots. But then, you know, combining that with that really powerful SDHI um, just really lengthens that residual we can get out of that chemistry. And like you said, preserve it too for use in the future. All right. Drought situations. Uh, I know they're no fun and we can't make it rain if we don't have irrigation. So we've got to do the best thing we can right from the start. I, I know you've been big on seed treatments and uh, Syngenta certainly has had a lot in their pipeline too to improve those seed treatments. And and even, you know, you look at something like Saltro up front and what a difference that can make fighting off sudden death syndrome and protecting plant health as well. There's a lot of things that you can do really all through the season. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And like you said, I think you look at, uh, you know, drought proofing from a systematic approach and that, like you said, start with a really good uh, seed treatment um, in soybeans, definitely saltro to keep that late season disease and fight those early season, um, you know, rots we could get too. But then also um, weeds, you know, getting the weed control right, starting with a really strong um, multiple mode of action, pre-emerge, and let's not let any of those weeds take any more of the precious water we have in some places too. And then following that up with, um, you know, a strong multiple mode of action post-application that also contains a a really good, excuse me, residual product with it too. And then, um, you know, as weed control season, at least here in central Iowa, is starting to come to a close of spraying, it's as the, the clock turns to fungicide season here, we really got to start thinking about not only choosing products that are going to help us fight the disease, but also provide those uh, plant health benefits and protect what yield we can in a, in a drought environment. Hey, you mentioned the, the multiple pass herbicide program, which I, I totally mm-hmm. agree with you on that too. And I like having residual in that I'm putting down in that first shot and the second shot. This year we had a lot of growers that, that said, man, my residual didn't work very well. I just didn't get enough rain to activate things. And, and I can certainly understand that. We, we want to get those residuals out as early as we can, especially um, just to give them some time to catch more moisture. Hopefully, at least you get something. <laughs> Maybe somewhere along the line you catch an inch and everything gets working 100%. But what, do you, what did you see this year? Was there anything that guys did different that, that maybe helped them get a little more out of those residuals? Yeah, I think, you know, the guys that went early with it, like you mentioned, um, I I fielded a lot of questions early on, you know, people watching the forecast saying, well, should I spray? Should I not? And I never even hesitated. I was like, spray. Um, Let's control what we can control. And that's getting the chemistry out there and then hope for the rain to come. I think where we saw struggles um, in some cases were um, even in places that got a rain, we had residuals that were out there and they were working really good for us. And then I think maybe in some cases we kind of took our eye off those and we went to come back with posts and we were a little bit surprised at uh, how much things had changed in those scenarios yeah 
Yeah, it's it's been interesting this year. And then, you know, some of the weeds, yeah. too, have kind of hardened off a little bit because they're, stu- they're suffering from drought, too. What did you see that helped get better control with the post passes on those weeds that were really tough to get a product into? Yeah, they really did harden off fast as we dried up. Um, where I saw the most success was, it, and this may sound a little bit elementary, but just going back to the basics, And what I mean by that was really understanding what that label calls for from an application standpoint. And that's everything from gallons per acre, um, using the right kind of nozzles. Um, You see a lot of corn get sprayed with a dicamba ultra low drift type nozzle, which really results in in some poor control. And then getting the right load and the right combination of adjuvants in there. So where I saw the most success on posts this year a higher gallons per acre, uh, a really stout rate, using the correct nozzles, and then making sure we had the right adjuvants to go along with it. And in some cases, that meant um, you know consulting with your rep or your agronomist and and using maybe something a little hotter than we thought we should, such as an oil on a product that that we normally wouldn't do that. Yeah, a lot of a lot of games played this year with adjuvants trying to make things work yeah. and and drive them in there and and I get it and in some cases there's a little bit more burn than guys would have liked but it seemed like the guys that did that got better weed control too so I don't blame them for doing it. I completely agree. It, I I looked at a couple fields where there was, you know, a little bit of crop injury, nothing too severe, but the one thing there wasn't was any weeds that were alive. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's for sure. Well, you know, a lot of things there with with weed control, and certainly we've got some resistant weeds out there, and like we've been talking all along here, multiple modes of action has sure been helpful this year. How about on the bugs? Already hearing some calls about Japanese beetles, had a lot of guys with bean leaf beetles this year out in the soybeans, grasshoppers coming out of the ditches and coming out of the hay fields. Man, there's just been about every kind of bug you can imagine this year already. When it's dry out there, they're looking for food too. Yeah, the bugs definitely seem to be thriving in the drought. There's no doubt about that. It's a it's funny you mentioned uh, Japanese beetles. I just had to treat my um, apple trees for the second time the other day. They defoliate those real fast. But um, yeah, I've seen. Uh, I, I saw my first few soybean aphids this morning uh, in a field. Nothing severe yet, but just starting to pop up on that that newly emerging trifoliate. Saw a few Japanese beetles out in the out in the soybeans too. Probably the thing I've received the most calls on lately like you mentioned was the grasshoppers um you know they're just all over the road ditches and starting to get into the headlands of the corn there um and so and you know with grasshoppers it's always it's always tough to tell you that lower plant defoliation is not necessarily too bad but if it starts to spread and get up into you know where they're eating the ear leaf and especially as flowering occurs that's when i really want to take a look at our thresholds and then and make a decision from there. Yeah, we got some critical growth stages coming up here with soybeans flowering and like you said with corn hitting tassel here for a lot of guys if if it hasn't already it's coming real soon here. Definitely don't want weeds, insects or diseases that we can completely control getting in the way. Uh, talking with Jesse Grow with Syngenta down in Iowa. Jesse, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on today. Good luck fighting the tar spot off down there. Hopefully, hopefully it just goes away. That would be wonderful. Hey, I think we could all hope and wish for that. (laughs) Well, it would definitely help us drought-proof our crop a little better if we didn't have disease to fight and and weeds and insects, as we were just talking about. We'll discuss more about drought-proofing your crop coming up right after this. Stay tuned. (music) 
When it comes to cereal disease protection, Prosaro Pro 400 SC fungicide from Bayer makes all the difference. With three effective active ingredients for overlapping control of foliar and head diseases and a flexible application window for head scab, it's formulated to lower dawn, protect yield potential, and promote superior grain quality. Prosaro Pro, the future of plant health starts here. Visit prosaropro.com to learn more. Always read and follow grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. What does it really mean to provide the best crop nutrition? With AgroLiquid, you're getting a one-of-a-kind approach, one that caters to your specific agronomic needs. You're getting a crop nutrition plan that maximizes your fertilizer applications from every drop, all while accounting for your management practices and the products you're already using. But it's not just a product. It's peace of mind, knowing we've thought of everything. That's the AgroLiquid way. Apply less, expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. There's an innovative new soybean herbicide on the market that's helping close the door on weed resistance and open new doors to productivity. Preview 2.1 SC Herbicide from UPL is a multi-mode of action pre-emergent that controls the most resistant broadleaf weeds at the beginning of the season and continues to control later weeds with strong residual activity. Ask your retailer about Preview 2.1 Herbicide from UPL and always read and follow label directions. You won't want to miss this year's Ag PhD Field Day with guided tours of our extensive research plots, world premieres of the latest ag technologies, the highest yielding farmers on the planet, and more equipment running than ever before. The Ag PhD Field Day just keeps getting bigger and better. We'll also have great family entertainment, including a kids area, music, fantastic guest speakers, and food and drink available all throughout the day. But the best part is everything's free. Go to agphd.com to learn more for the Ag PhD Field Day, Thursday, July 27th. Morton Buildings has served the American farmer for more than 120 years. From manufacturing our own building components to constructing your building, Morton takes pride in being the industry leader in post-frame construction by providing a quality building and exceptional customer service. A Morton is built to last for generations. To get started on your next project, please visit mortonbuildings.com. Combine header loss means loss income. Hi, Greg Souter from 360 Yield Center. It's common to see a two bushel loss per acre due to header loss. That's over $14 per acre. 360 Yield Saver replacement gathering chains cut header loss by cushioning the ear and by closing the gaps between the deck plates. 360 Yield Saver can cut header loss by 80%, adding $14 per acre. Learn more at 360yieldcenter.com. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. We're talking about drought and what you can do to protect your crop and help it navigate through this tough year. If you're not catching the rains, what can you do to keep that crop doing the best that it possibly can? We're also taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. Let's head over to Western Illinois. we got Matt Swanson on. He works with the Extreme Ag Group. Matt, thanks for joining us. Hey, Darren, how are you? Well, I'm doing pretty well, but you got tar spot about an hour away from your farm. Does that make you nervous, or does it change anything you're doing, or you're already protecting things? Well, uh, our setup is all is had to already have stuff protected. Obviously, we're, we've got a pretty significant moisture deficit going, so um, 
car spot's just one of the things at the moment. So, Yeah, talk about that a little bit. You guys are drier than dry, and I've been to western Illinois before when it's dry, and it's uh, when you're getting pretty high yields, you just can't afford having these stretches like this. It makes it even more of a challenge. Uh, what are you seeing out there, Matt? What what has been helping it? Where where is it not as bad? Is it high fertility ground? Is it no till? I mean, is there any farming practices you're seeing that are helping? Well, I mean, right now um, you're seeing the later planted stuff looks worse. Uh, corn on corn looks worse. Any place. You know, you had surface applied nitrogen as opposed to nitrogen and hydrate. You can see that, um, and it just comes down to it just just comes down to management and and you know how your planting schedule worked out. You know, you mentioned early planting being a better thing, and we saw the same thing here. That's been a big focus for us. If the soil is fit and we're past that crop insurance date, we really want to be rolling. And, uh, of course, it doesn't always work that way. That's kind of ideal. <laughs> There's always spots even in fields that aren't quite ready or not as ready as the rest, and and it's pretty tough to farm 99% of the farm and not, not get those last few acres. So with, with the early planting, what do you think the big difference is? Is it root establishment? Was it that, that I, I don't know, I was just curious, what do you see? Yeah, I mean, I think you've got a, you've got a combination of things. Most, a lot of it just being root root establishment and early growth. You know, the stuff that was later planted, and you can see it in our food grade stuff, um, just by the day you can see emergence differences, you can see root differences. The later it got, the worse it got. And matter of fact, some of the last planted corn, you know, we just it just flat didn't come up in places. So, and a lot of that again just tied back to uh, when it got planted. Now the flip side of that is the the earliest planted stuff here went through a, a frost or two and and some other issues. And um, you can see tassels on some of that this morning, and it's about six foot tall. So it's kind of a, a pick your poison this year. The middle. The middle planted um, looks the best, obviously, right now. The later planted's short, and the early planted is has got some challenges yet. How about the soybeans, Matt? I, this one's been real mixed. A lot of folks I've talked to have said, oh, wow, but the soybeans look much better. And others have said, no, the soybeans look even worse in our area. How about in your part of western Illinois? Um, the, sorbe- the soybeans are, are short, obviously. Um, and, you know, you still have to keep managing weeds and things like that, so. That certainly doesn't help because, you know, none of those herbicides, or at least the ones that we use anyway, are not particularly helpful to a soybean crop. So um, they're shorter. You can see nutrient deficiency in, in those as well. And obviously you just don't have the root mass in most cases on those small soybeans that you do in a young corn plant. You know, when you, you think about that, when a crop's under stress, does it help applying things like PGRs, plant growth regulators, or plant hormones, or is that something you say, no, I'm not going to do anything else that's already going through enough? Well, interestingly, that's a conversation I had with Heath Kutrell the last couple of weeks, kind of an ongoing conversation, and, and with Lee as well. And, you know, we're still sticking with our normal plan, the PGRs. We want to try to take as much stress off and, and promote what we can uh, and keep it from shutting itself down. Um, now, are we going to push it maybe quite as hard as we would? Otherwise, no, because we know we just don't have the water for good nutrient uptake. So we don't want to push it real hard, you know, drop the accelerator on it and, with a PGR and then not have the nutrition available to sustain it or, or and, not, and, you know, we don't want to cause it to go backwards, I guess is what I'm getting at. So. Yeah, it's it's just tricky. And then, 
I don't know. I don't trust the weather forecasters when you get into a cycle like this. They they always seem to put that five days out, seven days out. Oh yeah, we got a good chance of rain, and I just don't believe them anymore, Matt. Yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. I actually have a, a friend of mine that that's a local meteorologist, and we just, I was giving him a hard time on uh, Twitter the other night about that. So um, <laughs> it just you know it is what it is. You can and interestingly, I think one of the things I've noticed the most that I just thought of is. That happened to drive by the field is, uh, you know, fields that we had pop up fertility in, which is something that we typically don't see a response from. Uh, you can see it right to the row, and and that's interesting to me because that's that's not something that I've ever seen before, uh, as far as, as a dry situation. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, you mentioned the the meteorologist, and I know a lot of people joke, man, what other job can you have that you're wrong half the time or more and still keep your job? And I thought, huh, it sounds like us farmers trying to market grain. It seems like we're always on the wrong side, too. That's exactly right, yeah. Well, and here you go. You know, we're in a drought, and even in Illinois, I mean, areas that you think, oh, man, those guys are going to crush it. Even if they're a little short in moisture, they're still going to crush it. That isn't always the case, and it, it does make you start thinking about what are these markets going to do and how are they going to respond. Do you get a, any insight on that matter, or is it just way too early to, to make a call? No. I mean, we started selling early. We, we, we've got a fair, what I thought was about 40 or 50% of our crop sold around $6 for this year. And uh, I don't know if it's going to be 50%, and I don't know if that's a good price or not. In the last week, it could have gone either way, probably. So. Yeah, yeah, we'll no see. kidding. No kidding. Yeah, this has been something. I know, Brian, about every day uh, we sit down in here to do the radio show, and he's like, man, did you see the markets? <laughs> and just scratching scratching our heads here. So we haven't got this thing figured out at all either. I think I, I, think I saw a tweet just before I got on the phone here that uh, in the last five days we're up 80 and down 90. So. I guess that's kind of how that's going to go, I guess. Yeah. Hey, you mentioned uh, uh, stuff on Twitter. What, I guess, where can people find you online? What are some of the things that you're up to there and, and uh, how, how can they connect? Yeah. So I'm on Twitter at max ROI farmer, uh, ROI, like return on investment, just like it sounds. And then uh, we, I post a fair amount on, of course, on the extreme ag uh, side as well on Facebook. So, yeah, the Twitter thing, I, I, I guess I follow you on Twitter and have for a long time. It, there is a lot of content there. So if you're saying, gosh, who is this Matt? Or I've heard about Matt before, but I've never followed him on my own. It's uh, it's pretty good stuff usually. it's I mean, sometimes there's some fun stuff too on there, but there's a lot of good agronomy information. And, and uh, I know we've talked fertility quite a bit here too. We've seen a big difference, Matt, on ground that we've had for a while, that we built fertility up versus some of the new ground. And that's something Absolutely. that we've been talking talking about here is a, a huge factor for us. What do you see there? You, I know you get to farm uh, in some different places too. Uh, have you seen a big difference there on soil types or just fertility in general? Well, I mean, soil types and that soil type, you know, for us, a soil type question, you know, often changes our fertility. You know, if we have a, what we call a timber soil or a ground that, you know, two or 300 years ago was oak and hickory forest, you know, that soil typically has more clay in it. Um, it's generally drier. And when you get in a dry spell like this, it cracks really bad. It's what they call a double bond clay. If you're a soil scientist and, and those soils hold on to, to nutrients, uh, quite well, you know, potassium in particular. So, um, when you get dry like this, those, those, those soil particles close down on that, on that potassium and you don't get it. So, um, 
it definitely changes. I mean, one of the best ways to drought proof a crop, right, is just to keep it, um, new, keep the nutrient status up. And whether that's through applied fertility, whether it's through natural fertility, you know, the, a plant that doesn't need anything doesn't pull as much water in as a plant that's looking for something. So, yeah, um, that's one of the key ways uh, as far as managing drought and doing it ahead of time is just having good fertility either naturally or, or applied, you know, ahead of time. Yeah, those are definitely things that we can control in our fields. It just costs a little bit of money. <laughs> That's, That's right. They aren't giving yep. that stuff away anytime uh, that I've seen anyway. Uh, we got Matt Swanson here over in Western Illinois. works with the Extreme Ag Group as well. You can find him on Twitter, Max ROI Farmer. Matt, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Nice talking to you, Darren. You bet. Well, hopefully those guys catch some rain. If you're in a drought area, I hope you catch some rain soon. Uh, but in the meantime, we're going to focus on what we can do to get through this drought. And we'll take your calls and questions too. Stay tuned. Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. Did you know 20% of stored corn is overventilated by three points of moisture? On 100,000 bushels, that's a whole semi-load. Stop this problem for as little as $2,100 per bin with the end zone for corn from FarmShop MFG. Learn more at farmshopmfg.com. Growing up on the farm, I woke up as early as mom and dad. I put as many hours on the tractor, changed as many teeth on the tiller as my brothers. It doesn't matter if you're young or old, man or woman, when there's work to be done, you put your boots on and you do it. I do that on my farm and in my job at Case IH. My name is Kelsey, I'm a farmer, and I work for Case IH. Case IH, built by farmers. You won't want to miss this year's Ag PhD Field Day. I'm Darren Hefty. Each summer on the last Thursday in July, we open up our farm to you so you can learn more ways to improve your farm and the Ag PhD field that just keeps getting bigger and better. This year, we're featuring guided tours of our extensive research plots, world premieres of the latest ag technologies, numerous panels of the highest yielding farmers on the planet, and more equipment running in our demo area than we've ever had before. We'll also have great family entertainment, including a kids area, music, fantastic guest speakers, and food and drinks available all throughout the day. But the best part is everything is free. We know that you're busy and your time is valuable. That's why we do everything we can to make sure the Ag PhD Field Day is a very worthwhile investment of your time. So please, go to agphd.com to learn more and be sure to register to join us at this year's Ag PhD Field Day, Thursday, July 27th. Nothing but net. Win your soybean season with the fast knockdown and lasting broad-spectrum control of Elevest Insect Control from FMC. Take on army worms, stink bugs, soybean loopers, and more with the maximized ratio of premier active ingredients for better overall control of more than 40 labeled pests. Visit your FMC retailer or elevest.ag.fmc.com to up your game this season. Always read and follow all label directions. This season, get medieval on Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excalia fungicide from Valent USA. Here to shield your sugar beets from the treachery of Rhizoctonia, Excalia delivers excellent staying power, keeping your sugar beets from being conquered. Stay one step ahead of Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excalia. 
Ask your retailer or visit valent.com slash to learn more. Always read and follow legal instructions. Listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton Studio today, talking about drought and what you can do to protect your crop. On today's program, we're also taking your emails, radio at agphd.com, and your phone questions, 844 44 AGPHD. Got our friend Tony Wendler on right now with Farm Shop MFG down in the state of Iowa. How you doing, Tony? Excellent, Darren. How are you today? You know, not too bad. We caught uh, what what the rain gauge said was close to an inch of rain on some of our fields, and there's already corn rolling up out there again. Oh, we're so dry. It's just crazy, but we're getting by. We're getting by. The corn is getting taller. Now it's shoulder high, so here we go. We keep moving forward. Now, with it rolling, and I've got personal experience with uh, FD seed doing this, uh, I've got one of the things on my checklist for getting ready for drought did you plant drought-tolerant varieties? Tony, we always plant on a drought here. <laughs> so I, I'll say this. Here's here's where we started this year. We And we were really thinking, you know what? We better be prepared for a drought. We got a lot of snow. Hopefully everything's great. But I know we had uh, some old buildings that, that got torn down, and, and we ended up having a, a big uh, pit that we dug to do some burning and then also uh, to bury some concrete and stuff. And uh, we dug down 12 feet. We didn't hit anything at all until 10 feet down. So we knew going into it, even if we have tons of rain in the spring, we're probably going to be okay. Now, Brian was still saying, that's okay. It can wait to rain until after we get everything in. But uh, man, I was hoping we were going to catch more rain sooner. So yes, we were absolutely planning on a drought this year. Well, the one thing, uh, drought-tolerant seed, uh, the uh, corn varieties, um, what I learned with that is that stuff, it doesn't take much, and it goes into protection mode, yeah. protect the water, so you'll see it uh, curl up. And that's uh, that's number two on my uh, uh, drought uh, prevention list Okay, the, is, is looking for uh, drought-tolerant seed and planting ahead. It, uh, a lot of these are all all planning ahead on what goes on, but uh, do you want me to give you my quick list? Yeah, go ahead. The the number one is you got to plan. This is planning way ahead, and it sounds counterintuitive, but uh, good tiling so that uh, you have a uh, the water drawn down, so the roots come down. The last thing you want is to have a situation, and I've seen it where it's uh, wet, and then all of a sudden things start to dry and the uh, groundwater drops quicker than the roots can go down. And uh, even though there was groundwater down there, they didn't go deep enough and the uh, the plants suffered. So uh, tiling ahead of time, that's a big planter. Number two is seed. We've touched that. Number three is, is tillage, not to lose water ahead of time. And, uh, you know, you can go through your options of that. No-till, uh, strip-till, ridge-till. Uh, the uh, and then stale till. Anything you can do to cut down on passes is going to save you moisture. And the last is uh, planting, making sure your uh, openers and your planters are getting the moisture and closing that furrow with the germinator closing wheels to uh, get that wicking of moisture back into the seed zone. 
Hey, you mentioned so, the, the wicking of moisture, and this is something this year that I know sometimes people kind of laugh at that. They're like, oh, what's the big deal? We're catch, we catch a rain you know, fairly regularly at that time of year. We don't have a problem. But this year, guys didn't. And I've seen so many fields where there's seed that came up a week, two weeks, three weeks, a month later than other seed in the field. And it's a mess out there. I, I don't know. We've had questions about how do I time my spray because – some of the field is at this stage, some is at that stage, and it's going to be the same thing when it comes to fungicides. Well, I got some corn tasseling and some that's a little ways before that. Uh, a lot of it goes right back to the planter. Why did some seed come? Because you got you got good uh, seed to soil contact around it. You you did like you're talking about. You had the right amount of pressure where now you're pulling moisture up to that seed. I, uh, I a story that I had this spring was a uh, gentleman down in Oklahoma, Dave that had heard us talking on the show previously. And uh, he was uh, kind of, well, that wick and moisture, I just, yeah, that sounds like a little bit of bunk. But uh, he had his planter with half my wheels and half twisters and uh, went out and planted. Uh, after two days of planting, went and dug behind, and he said every row with a germinator uh, because we have that right compression and uh, get the air squeezed out had uh, moisture in it, and he said those things were going to germinate in every row with a uh, twister. They were in dry dirt. The uh, It did not have the wicking, did not have the right pressure. And uh, the other part I liked about his story was that uh, he said, I got to pile twisters in my yard, uh, need more germinators. So, yeah, it, it makes a difference on these kinds of years, and I, I talk to guys all the time that say, well, that worked really good when it was wet, but then when it was dry, it didn't. And it makes sense that, you know what, there are some things that are designed just kind of for one season that, oh, yeah, if it's if it's only a wet year, well, this will work fine, or only a dry year, this will work. But to find something that can plant through your field that, that will work where it's a little too wet and also where it's a little too dry, that's important. Yes. Very much so. And uh, just like you said, I've talked to a lot of people who have just the issues you were talking, uh, different product. Some came, some didn't. And uh, it really, if you can get your uh, openers down into the moisture and with our closing wheels and you set them properly, you're going to wick that moisture into that seed zone and get those seeds started. And extremely important. Hey, Tony, I was talking to a seed company rep today, and he said they, they really struggled with their soybean seed quality because it was such a dry production year where they were at last year. And I asked him, what what did they do different, and what were some of the things that worked? Because we were really dry here, too. And he said, well, we found something. If you've got automatic fan controls that you can control the flow of air through your bins and you trust them to run when they're supposed to run and shut off when they're supposed to shut off. He said, we actually had some beans that got harvested at nine or 10% and we ran air through it. He said, we weren't really believers. We didn't think it was going to make that much of a difference, but we were going to try. And he said, when we ran them through our seed cleaner, it was 13% moisture beans. They were perfect. And they came out the other end. They were great seed quality. So he said there were the ones that they had where they had bin fan controls made a big difference. What, what do you see on these dry years like this? It's impossible to harvest beans at 13% moisture when it gets this dry yeah the uh well if you get out there early you can you can get the higher moisture and then dry them down and i had a conversation with a guy this morning up in minnesota with that type of objective uh the uh, other is just like you say rehydrate them 
and uh, we had a uh, study done over in Illinois this year that they came back and uh, uh, put a couple of them on, and I'm looking for them to get a little write-up out of it. But uh, uh, we they analyzed it, and uh, our system added uh, not quite as far as we wanted. Uh, and part of it, uh, they really need to level the bin to get things right. You can't have a peak. You can't have a, uh, a funnel out of the middle because the airflow doesn't go right. Get a level, but... Uh, they uh, they picked up by two and a half points, and uh, I think if they would have had their bins leveled, they would have done better. So uh, it has an impact. The thing that's really fun about beans is you can set the uh, the system, take water out and pull it down to 13, or uh, put water in and bring it up to 13, or if you've got it layered, set it in a band plus minus 13 and even the bin out. So there are a lot of different things you can uh, do if you got a good control, and uh, the uh, with like ours, ours is really cost effective. Farmers will pay for it in a year and put money in their pocket the first year they they use it. So that's uh, that's always a nice piece of equipment. Yeah, that's kind of how we felt. There have been a couple of things like that, bin fan controls and tiling on our farm that have been such a quick payback for us. We're like, dang, wish, wish we would have done that sooner. But uh, in some cases, the technology, like on these bin fan controls, is relatively new. And uh, if you haven't had a chance to check that out, I would strongly recommend it. Uh, like Tony mentioned, uh, there, there's a lot of different products on the market, but you can go to Farm Shop MFG. You can catch Tony's contact information there. We get a lot of questions about, hey, how do you get a hold of Tony? Uh, just go to Farm Shop MFG. His number's right on there. Hey, Tony, thank you so much. We really appreciate talking to you, and good luck. Hopefully you guys uh, get some nice rains here to push this crop along. Yep. Hey, good talking to you. Thanks. You bet. Yeah, drought is no fun, but there are some things that you can do about it. We'll talk more about that, and we'll dive into the Ag PhD mailbag coming up after this. Are you ready? We got the need, the need for seed treatment. Start your engines. Ready, set, Intego! Start your season strong with Intego Sweet Soybeans, Intego Fungicide Soybeans, and Intego Sweet Cereals OF from Valent USA. Ask your Valent rep about seed treatment solutions or visit valent.com slash Intego. Always read and follow label instructions. When we told growers that New Bear Premium Trifold Herbicide for corn delivers visibly clean fields for up to eight weeks, they were a bit skeptical. Um... We'll see how it works. So we decided to prove it. We set up cameras in multiple cornfields, treated them with Trivolt, and filmed for 24 hours a day. For eight weeks, we saw a variety of weather conditions, and Trivolt worked. See for yourself at trivoltinaction.com. Trivolt is a restricted-use pesticide. Consult your state pesticide regulator for specific restrictions. Read and follow pesticide label directions. You won't want to miss this year's Ag PhD Field Day. I'm Darren Hefty. Each summer on the last Thursday in July, we open up our farm to you so you can learn more ways to improve your farm. And the Ag PhD Field Day just keeps getting bigger and better. This year, we're featuring guided tours of our extensive research plots, world premieres of the latest ag technologies, numerous panels of the highest yielding farmers on the planet, and more equipment running in our demo area than we've ever had before. We'll also have great family entertainment, including a kid's area, music, fantastic guest speakers, and food and drinks available all throughout the day. But the best part is everything is free. 
We know that you're busy and your time is valuable. That's why we do everything we can to make sure the Ag PhD Field Day is a very worthwhile investment of your time. So please go to agphd.com to learn more and be sure to register to join us at this year's Ag PhD Field Day, Thursday, July 27th. It takes balance to be successful in farming because what you get out of it depends on what you put in. And Corteva AgriScience gets that. Introducing Nutrition and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting Corteva.us. The hard-working, independent spirit of rural America can often be isolating. It's not often discussed, but mental health issues are real. Now's the time to lead by example, talk openly, and show that a strong mind is just as important as a strong body. FMC is proud to be working toward ending the misconceptions around mental health. Through awareness, guidance, and action, together we can uproot the stigma. Come on in. The Ag PhD mailbag is about to begin. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. It is the Ag PhD mailbag time. We're taking your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. And you can also email us radio at agphd.com. And sometimes there's some head scratchers. Geronimo from Indiana sent a question and he said, we've been dry but we caught a couple inches of rain over the weekend. And then it seemed like overnight there are patches of beans laying down, almost like they had a growth regulator put on them. He said the storm was so severe that it laid down beans all over his area. Just wondering what's going on out there. But that's a great question, Geronimo. I would have to do a little bit of digging. Uh, also, it might be helpful to have a drone just to see what's it look like from the air. Are there any? Is there any pattern to this? I wonder what the root system is like when we're really dry. Do we have some issues with compaction where the root system wasn't very big? Um, I'm not sure what's going on exactly there. And it's hard sometimes when something happens out in a field to just say, oh, yeah, that's easy. It's this. You got to go out there and do a little bit of digging and see what happened. But if it happened to a lot of farmers other than just you, then that that's going to be uh more interesting if it only happened to you or it only happened to one variety or only happened to one fertility program or post-emerge herbicide program or something like that then then he can nail it down uh, but he had made the comment that it wasn't such a severe storm that the storm laid down the beans that's where the mystery's at they just fell over later yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. That's uh, going to be interesting, Geronimo. If you do some digging uh, and take some pictures, I would love to see what it looks like below ground. And again, if you can get a drone out there, I'm sure one of your neighbors or friends or agronomists or something has got a, got a drone that they're up flying. It'd be neat to see what those drone images look like, too. All right, get this question that came in from Nick. He said, I'm in southern Minnesota, just north of the Iowa border, and I had my beans sprayed the beginning of last week with Enlist, Roundup, Clethodem, and Dual. Uh, so the, the new 240 choline, glyphosate, uh, Clethodem for volunteer corn and grass, 
uh, dual would be metolachlor. And then I also added in some non-annex surfactant and some methylated seed oil. But now I'm running into problems where quite a few of my water hemp plants uh, just didn't get completely killed and seemed to be coming back. Now I understand some of this is my own fault. There were some weeds that were over eight inches tall, fully admit that. Uh, and they were sprayed when it was pretty dry. But I'm planning on coming back towards the end of this week to try to respray and clean some things up. So I'm wondering what you would recommend. Would you spray a full rate of Enlist again, or would you go with Liberty? I'm leaning towards Liberty because my beans are just starting to flower, and I've heard it's a little easier on the plants than Enlist. And then the next thing is, would you throw in an additional Group 15 uh, to try to add some residual to it as well. Okay, so first of all, you're running out of labeled time to be able to do any of these things. With Liberty, that's labeled up until uh, R1. So first bloom of the beans is is kind of it. If they get to R2 where it's full bloom, you're, you're past the label. And the same thing with the Enlist. So here's what I'm seeing. With Enlist, the challenge with Enlist late season like this on big weeds is you're limited to one quart per acre. And it's just not enough. I, I really wish they would reconsider and have that label allow you to do something different. So here's here's what I see on that label. You can spray uh, this new 24D three times, basically. You can spray it in your pre. You can spray it two times in crop. I wouldn't be opposed if they went back to, okay, look, you can only spray it twice, not three times, but you could still use two pounds of 24D in crop. So for example, say you used a quart of Enlist with your pre-emerge or your burn down. Then you could use the other two quarts in a single post-emerge application. Because I think the way I understand how negotiations went, and I could be wrong because I'm not in the room. I, I don't know what the government has asked completely. And I, I don't know what Corteva has put out there either. But from the outside looking in, it looks like the EPA settled on three pounds of active ingredient per acre per year as their max. And I know that the Corteva folks really wanted to be able to spray two shots in crop. I don't blame them for that. I really like being able to spray Enlist twice in crop. But they also knew it was super important for the burn down. So I get all this, and uh, I, just, I just wish we could spray two pounds of active, so two quarts in crop. I believe the crop would tolerate it just fine. I haven't seen anything uh, where where guys have doubled up that I'd say, oh boy, that looks concerning. It looks like the crop tolerance is there. But again, I'm not Corteva and I'm not the EPA. I don't know for sure. But to me, I think we need a double rate of enlist if we're going to do it. And that's not labeled, so I can't recommend that to you. What I can recommend to you, though, is using Liberty at the 43-ounce rate. Changing your spray tips. Here's one of the challenges with uh, either Enlist or with the Extend products in dicamba-tolerant crops. You've got to use big droplets. Well, Liberty needs smaller droplets. So I would use Liberty. I'd spray 20 gallons of water per acre with the Liberty. I'd use 43 ounces of Liberty again, 3 pounds of ammonium sulfate, and I would use the highest end of the pressure for each of the labeled nozzles uh, to try to get the smallest droplet, the best coverage I can, and I would expect I'm going to have good control. Now, if I could go back in time, and if you would have asked before this whole um, last spray, where you sprayed Enlist, Roundup, Clethodim, and Dual, I don't have any problem with the Dual or Metallochlor. I don't have any problem with the Clethodim. But instead of Roundup, I would have just put Liberty in at that time. And we've seen a lot of guys go to 43 ounces of Liberty 
and spiking in some enlist. So you got a full labeled rate of liberty. Some guys are going with a pint of enlist, or you could even go the full quart of enlist. Just depends on how much money you want to spend and, and how big those weeds are and so forth. But that's been working better. So that's, that's why the enlist didn't work as well. It's just not enough active ingredient. If you see regrowth on weeds coming up from the bottom, that means you ran out of active ingredient. And, and I also agree with you, Nick, that the drought probably played into it a little bit and made it a little tougher for that to move through the plant quickly. Long explanation, but good luck spraying your Liberty on your next pass. All right, got this one that came in uh, from down in South Central Kansas from Jared. He said, I've got corn here that looks pretty good. It's starting to tassel. Ears are about as big as my finger right now. They're 16 to 18 around, 44 long. Uh, that sounds awesome to me, Jared. It sounds really profitable potentially. He said, we're coming out of a drought and uh, doing pretty well. Our wheat was really short, so our wheat yields were kind of average to below average. But now the chinch bugs are moving from the wheat right into the corn. We also had a minor hail event, no huge deal, 10 days ago. I'm just wondering, should I pull the trigger on a fungicide and an insecticide to knock these chinch bugs out? What's the danger of these chinch bugs around tasseling? I'm just kind of curious. Hey, Jared, thank you so much for the email. and glad you guys are coming out of the drought. That's awesome. Sounds like you got some great corn coming. A hundred percent, yes, I would get out there and treat. Chinch bugs can be really devastating to grass crops like sorghum and corn. Uh, I would use a full rate of a pyrethroid. They're a tough bug to kill if you use a cut rate, but a full rate of a lot of these pyrethroids, like a Silencer or a Mustang Max, they only cost three bucks or so. So definitely do that. You could you could go five ounces of Hero if you want. Then it adds two modes of action or two different pyrethroids, I should say, uh, that would do a nice job knocking those chinch bugs out. And the fungicide, yeah, there's already been um, in northeastern Kansas, already been tar spot confirmed. I would be all over this brand of fungicide and adding the insecticide in. Good luck to you. That sounds like you had a good crop, and I'm, I'm super excited for you. All right, get this comment that came in uh, from Augie. Hey, guys, I uh, heard you guys talking about corn growth stages. That's awesome. Learn more in three minutes watching you guys talk about it than three hours in some other videos I watched. Hey, thank you. Really appreciate that. And, yeah, we like talking about growth and development stages on corn. That's really important to understand. Uh, I had this one come in from Caden. He said, hey, I was at your scouting and scholarships event. I had a blast. Uh, thanks for what you guys do. My question is on dry years like this one, what's your position on pivots and when to apply water to the most critical stages of development? Or do you have other suggestions on when you should run water, like after planting, a day or two after a post spray, uh, or those types of things? Caden, I would say the biggest thing I see is guys don't turn on water soon enough and they shut it off too soon. Now, if you've got limits to how much water you can apply, that's going to change things. But I would say this. Some guys say, well, it's too early in the year for me to turn on the water. If you want your crop to be successful, sometimes you have to adjust to the year. And yeah, on a lot of years, there's enough moisture you don't have to do that. This might not be one of them. If you're really in a substantial drought, turn on the pivot. Get your residual herbicides activated and working. Help your plant tolerate some of these stresses by giving it a little bit of water. I think it's a good thing to get going a little earlier. And then later in the season, you can't really shut it off until the yield is completely made. And I see a lot of guys shutting it off way too soon. So it's just a couple of tips for you. Hey, Caden, thanks for coming to Scouting and Scholarships, too. We really appreciate that. Thanks for listening to today's program. Be sure to join us again each weekday. 
for more Ag PhD Radio.